Deutsche Bank has become one of the biggest banks in the world through its over 100 year history. But despite their massive expansion and international presence, they have faced fines, legal action, and public outrage multiple times in their tenure. Their poor selection of clients, involvement in multiple money laundering schemes, and seeming inability to follow regulations to prevent schemes, scams, and criminal activity by the use of the bank seems to be never ending. This begs the question, is this bank the bank for criminals? uncomfortable questions for Germany's largest lender, Deutsche Bank. Namely, why did Deutsche Bank loan Mr. Trump? Violations of anti-money laundering regulations. According to the New York Times, a mistake to uh, onboard uh, Mr. Epstein in 2013. Um, Million sure. dollars in fines and settlements over the last decade for everything from dodgy mortgage-backed securities. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about the illustrious history and multiple scandals of the infamous Deutsche Bank. The bank has become synonymous with working with high-profile clients and lending massive amounts of money to some of the richest people in the world. However, they also tend to ignore federal and international regulations. So let's dive right into a little bit of background about who exactly this bank is. Let's get into it. Deutsche Bank was established before Germany had even officially established as a country. Its founders, who were all bankers, established the bank to challenge the massive success and virtual monopoly of British banks, which had almost complete financial control in Europe. Deutsche Bank was first founded January 22, 1870. And just two months later, on March 10, 1870, the Prussian government would grant its license. At first, the bank's initial focus was to facilitate trade relations between Germany, other European countries, and overseas markets. Because of this goal, the bank quickly opened locations in multiple countries, including China and Japan. However, the bank swiftly switched its goal from trade finance to industrial finance, meaning this bank began to support and help build Germany's capital market by supporting the growth of businesses and focusing primarily on their industrial customers. Their website states, Deutsche Bank's early decades were a period of rapid expansion, The bank had an eye for good business prospects and a sound feel for risk. Issuing business began to grow in importance in the 1880s and in the 1890s, it really took off. The bank would invest in steel, chemicals, and the electrical engineering industry. In the beginning, the bank would often sit on the boards of companies they invested in and help to restructure the business and negotiate mergers. By the early 1880s, it was involved with multiple German companies in South America and the United States and was also financing railroads in Russia. However, the bank would make some massive mistakes early in their history by investing in companies and people that did not have the ability to pay back their loans. In 1886, they invested in Henry Viller to help his company build railroads in the United States. However, even before the investment, he had already defaulted on other banks' loans while building the Northern Pacific Railroad. The railway was ultimately bailed out, but he was forced to leave the company. Despite his past history of defaulting on loans, Deutsche Bank lent him millions of dollars to regain control of the railroad. His great-granddaughter wrote, armed to the teeth with German capital, Henry Villard would return to the railroad wars. Even though he was widely considered a visionary, he was definitely not great financially. He returned to Berlin multiple times over the years to ask for millions of dollars of additional loans. While it does seem abundantly clear that he didn't have the capital to afford to pay these loans back, Deutsche Bank would continue giving them to him and rarely asked for collateral. 
By the late 1890s, the railroad was huge, spanning thousands of miles. However, Villard was also in a massive amount of debt of over $11 million a year. He would again have to declare the railroad as being bankrupt, and Deutsche Bank had now lost millions of dollars from their careless loans to him. When recounting the bank's extensive history, a German historian wrote in 1995 that, "'This was the first, but not the last time, "'that the bank would have had the wool pulled over its eyes "'by a man who employed a great personal charm "'and shrewd publicity to win over investors "'and repeatedly mobilize fresh sources of credit, "'but whose business rested on thoroughly rickety foundations.'" While this poor decision-making was certainly upsetting and troublesome for the young bank, it wasn't a complete disaster and they continued to grow. By 1914, a German newspaper would call the Deutsche Bank the biggest bank in the world after they expanded to Africa, Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. However, after the First World War, the bank found itself in slight disarray, like many others in Germany. It had lost most of its foreign branches and foreign investments, so it was time to rebuild. At this time, and over the next 10 years, the bank would rebuild its investment portfolio and push for mergers in German companies. For example, in 1920, they would help negotiate the merger between two automobile giants, Daimler and Benz. That ended up becoming, by the way, Mercedes-Benz. Only 13 years later, when Hitler and the Nazi party came to power in Germany in 1933, the German bank found itself in what their website calls the darkest chapter in the history of the Deutsche Bank. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later on, but just know that this is a big aspect of their history. Now, following World War II, the bank again went into rebuilding mode. Following their involvement with the Nazi regime, they were broken into 10 different banks. And again, I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment too. And operating under the name Deutsche Bank was actually forbidden, started in 1947. However, all 10 banks would reunite into Deutsche Bank in 1957. And from there, the bank would continue what they had been doing prior to World War II, investing in companies, negotiating mergers, and conducting business internationally. Now that we have a bit of background on the bank, let's get into their involvement with the Nazi regime during World War II, before getting into their multiple scandals from the 1990s to now. The bank's history page on their website starts out the description of this horrific time in their history by saying the following. Although its leading representatives scarcely agreed with the ideology of national socialism, they complied with the racist goals of the regime from the outset, putting up no resistance. The feeling of impotence and feebleness instilled in them by the aftermath of the 1931 banking crisis and the anti-bank ideology of leading Nazis was simply too great. It is important to note that most German companies and banks in Germany were complicit in the Third Reich's horrific actions. And it's not like they really had an option to not either, but it's not excusing it either. The point is the Deutsche Bank was especially complicit in helping Nazi powers orchestrate mass genocide. When Hitler first rose to power, three members of the management board for the bank were forced to leave due to being quote, defined as Jews. According to David Enrich, the writer of Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump, and an epic tale of destruction, their banishment from the company was first met by some pushback by German executives on the board. However, they were overruled by colleagues who were inclined to remain in the good graces of the Nazis. Then in the coming years, the bank would be involved in the Aryanization or the takeover of Jewish businesses by German people and companies. By 1938, they would complete hundreds of these, taking over Jewish business assets and turning them over to Aryans. Deutsche Bank was also extremely involved in selling gold from the Nazi regime. According to Enrich, Deutsche sold more than 1,600 pounds of gold the Nazis had stolen from Holocaust victims. The proceeds of these sales went not to the bank, but to the Nazi regime so they could buy weapons and other raw materials, which they needed desperately. 
Horrifically, the bank was also involved in financing what is widely known as one of the most deadly and horrific concentration camps during the Holocaust, Auschwitz. Deutsche Bank financed the construction companies who would go on to build the camp and also bankrolled the IG Farben factory, which was run by slave labor and used to manufacture the chemical used in the gas chambers. In Dark Tower, Enrich quotes the historian of the bank who described the leader at the time, Herman Apps, as saying, he was at worst an opportunist, at best a man of character who had to practice his profession in a human system. Enrich says there is little proof that Apps knew exactly what the bank was doing and the breadth of their investments in gold sales, but it would be incredibly shocking if he didn't. In addition to leading Deutsche Bank, he was also on the board at IG Farben, the same company that built the factory used to manufacture the chemicals in the gas chambers. So considering he was both the leader of the bank that financed the project and on the board of the factory that helped the Nazis commit mass genocide at a horrifically fast rate, it's possibly safe to assume that he likely knew exactly what the fuck was going on. There was also no record of him voicing any concerns about what either the bank or IG Farben were doing. Now, when the Nazi regime did finally collapse in 1945, the bank found itself in British territory after the allies divvied up Berlin. Hermann Apps was wanted for war crimes and had previously fled the country upon the allied invasion. After he was found, he was originally sentenced to over 10 years of hard labor for war crimes. But the British who were still waiting on German reparations from the first world war decided to help him. And he wound up spending a few months in prison again as a war criminal. Despite Absin all honestly getting off quite easily with the help of the British for his involvement in the Holocaust, the United States didn't take too kindly to this decision and was extremely unhappy with the lack of consequences for the bank's involvement in the Holocaust. In a report released by the United States government, they said the Deutsche Bank had been a participant in the execution of the criminal policies of the Nazi regime in the economic field and concluded that the bank should be liquidated and the former executive should be barred from any position of power while Germany was being rebuilt. The American government didn't get these things, but did compromise with the British government in deciding that the Deutsche Bank be split into 10 institutions and forbid them from using the Deutsche Bank name. Despite this, except for the name change, the bank really did not face any legal repercussions at the time for their involvement in the Holocaust. This obviously is an extremely dark and horrific history for the bank. In fact, they actually did try to hide this history, particularly the part where they funded Auschwitz for multiple decades. This wasn't actually until 1999, after the bank announced its plans to acquire Bankers Trust Corps, that they finally admitted this. Prior to this time, the bank had been in legal battles with concentration camp survivors in the United States. Survivors accused the bank of profiting from gold stolen from Holocaust victims, which of course, as we know, they did. One of the lawyers of the survivors in the suit was quoted in the Baltimore Sun as saying, Deutsche Bank cannot be permitted to obtain the benefits and protections of doing business in the United States without a full accounting and disgorgement of these assets. The CEO of Deutsche Bank also said in a statement that the involvement of Deutsche Bank in the Nazi regime is a cause of deep consternation for us and that he supported efforts to find a comprehensive solution to lawsuits and claims for damages from the Holocaust survivors. Along with three other German banks, a settlement was reached in 2020 for over $30 million. Now, I agree with the bank's sentiment that these were their darkest days, but DB has faced a wide array of scandals due to its continued tendency to make poor financial decisions and to financially back crooks, scammers, and con artists. Now, before we continue on to talk about Deutsche Bank's involvement with our orange ex-president Donald Trump, I don't know how else to describe him, uh, let's just take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors. We're all looking for simple solutions to eating healthier. And one easy way to fix up your fruit and veggie game is with Daily Harvest. It's the easiest way to get more fruits and veggies into your stomach every single day. 
And when I'm saying it's easy, it's literally easy. Daily Harvest offers delicious harvest bowls, flatbread smoothies, and more, all built on organic fruits and vegetables, and it goes right to your door and conveniently stays fresh in your freezer. Now, I think most of you know, I am very openly addicted to their smoothies. I have a monthly running subscription every month where I get smoothies delivered to the door and I have one almost every single morning for breakfast to start my day. But did you know they also have lattes? Uh, Because I just got hooked on that recently. They have a matcha latte. I think it's like matcha and lemongrass. I don't quote me on that, but it is so good. It's like a matcha latte. It's amazing. I'm in love. Daily Harvest takes only a couple minutes to prepare and never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything. So you get food that's good for you with minimal effort. Daily Harvest makes it easy to feel good about what I'm doing for myself and the planet. Make sure you go to dailyharvest.com casket and get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com casket for up to $40 off your first box. dailyharvest.com casket. If you're looking to cook more at home and treat yourself and your family to fantastic recipes without the stress of meal planning them, then look no further than HelloFresh because HelloFresh offers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get convenience and quality. Right now you guys are getting a series of ad reads where it's what does Blair eat in the morning? What does Blair eat at night? Because HelloFresh, very easy to make dinners. I love their one pan meals. It's probably one of my favorite things. One pan, one skillet, one oven, one whatever, everything on one tray, I love it. And HelloFresh is flexible because our lives are constantly changing. You can customize your order super easily, change your delivery day, food preferences, plan size, skip weeks when you don't need HelloFresh, like it's that easy. And you can do it all in the app, which like I've said many times before, their app is one of the easiest things in the world to use. They show you little previews of what the food is supposed to look like for every single recipe. It's so awesome. So if you wanna get started, make sure you go to hellofresh.com casket16 and use code casket16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's up to 16 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com casket16 with code casket16. By the 1990s, the German bank was extremely successful in supporting and bankrolling German enterprises. But in America, the bank was still struggling to make a big splash and continue its growth. Enter Donald Trump. You know, I had a wife who was suing me for $2 billion. I had the banks, I had this, I had that. By this time, Donald Trump was already well known for being a casino mogul. Opened the Taj Mahal Casino Hotel in Atlantic City. His empire could be at risk of collapse if the New Jersey Casino Commission decides not However, to he was also well known by bankers for being someone who had previously defaulted on his loans for his Atlantic City casino. He said, I think Donald Trump is an artful liar. I think he is a greedy, vicious, and arrogant man. Well, I don't know, is that supposed to be a compliment or not? I'm, I'm not sure. Banks such as Citigroup, Manufacturers Hanover, NatWest, and Bankers Trust had already gone through business dealings with him and lost hundreds of millions of dollars. Because of this, he had been effectively blackballed from getting loans from other banks. David Enrich says, "'His record of defaulting on loans and stiffing his business partners was very long and well-documented. Any mainstream financial institution that had competent risk management systems in place, there is no way they were going to do business with Donald Trump. Enter Deutsche Bank. Mike Offit and Justin Kennedy had both previously worked as traders with Goldman Sachs and were hired to help them establish the bank as a force in the eyes of the illustrious Wall Street. Tasked with the responsibility to invest in bigger and grander projects, Offit agreed to take a meeting with Trump despite multiple warnings against it from outside sources. Trump waltzed into the office and explained his proposal. He needed a loan to finance the renovations of 40 Wall Street, a giant art deco building from the 1930s in New York. 
After hearing his pitch, Offit was reportedly impressed by Trump's knowledge of the building and cost associated with the aspect of the renovations, even down to how much the windows would cost. To Offit, this was his big break, and he agreed to loan Trump $125 million. A short time later, Donald Trump came back, this time with another request for $300 million to build a skyscraper of his own. After gaining approval from the German office, Offit again agreed and lent Trump the money. Only a short time later, Offit was let go from the bank, but Kennedy developed a strong relationship with Trump. Over the years, the bank and Trump would develop a strong relationship with the bank lending him hundreds of millions of dollars. Deutsche Bank even helped Trump gain access to special purpose vehicles and help him travel and acquire more properties internationally. They also helped him find people to purchase his exorbitant and expensive condos. However, the relationship reached an impasse in 2008 during the financial crisis. Until this point, Trump had actually been relatively consistent with paying his loans, but now he owed $334 million to the bank with no way to pay them back. To avoid paying, Trump sued the bank for damages amounting to $3 billion, accusing the bank of helping to ignite the financial crisis through their predatory lending services, which honestly they kind of did, but I'll talk about that in a second. And also citing a force major clause, which implies the financial crisis was acts of God and that he should be let out of his responsibility to pay the bank back. They responded by saying that Trump is no stranger to overdue debt and said the lawsuit was classic Trump. They countersued Trump for $40 million, which he originally agreed to pay back by 2005 and did not. Despite all of this, the two parties ended up coming to an agreement that allowed Trump a five-year extension on paying the money back. The Panka actually led him more money to virtually pay themselves back on the $40 million he owed, and they continued loaning to Donald Trump throughout the years. Over the course of 20 years, the bank lent Donald Trump over $2 billion. By the time he would become president in 2016, they had become his biggest creditor. This would come back to bite them as the Democrats in Washington sought to fully understand Trump's business and subpoenaed the bank. The investigation was meant to explore what Maxine Waters, the head of the Financial Services Committee said, the use of the financial system for illicit purposes. Representative Adam Schiff goes on to say that the subpoenas were in part needed to take a look into allegations of potential foreign influence on the US political process. In 2019, it was believed that Donald Trump still owed the bank $300 million, though no one seems to be exactly sure of just how much he owes them. Donald Trump and his family actually sued the bank again in an attempt to block them from talking. And in the lawsuit, it states that the subpoenas were issued to harass President Donald J. Trump to rummage through every aspect of his personal finances, his businesses, and the private information of the president and his family. Deutsche Bank finally cut ties with one of their most famous and most troublesome clients, Donald Trump, after the January 6th insurrection. They were joined by multiple other institutions. The bank's relationship had been both good and bad for the reputation, depending on how you look at it. For one, Donald Trump is certainly one of the most famous, well-known people in the world. So being his biggest creditor gave Deutsche Bank a far-reaching reputation that made them a well-known name. On the other hand, their relationship with Trump has caused prosecutors to look closely into the bank's history and look closely at their current practices. And frankly, it isn't good. In 2016, the American federal government requested that the bank pay $14 billion in damages after helping to contribute to the 2008 financial crash and housing crisis. The claim states that the bank misled investors about loans underlying billions of dollars worth of mortgage securities issued by the bank in 2006 and 2007. It was a manic Monday in the financial markets. The Dow tumbled more than 500 points after two pillars of the street. No idea 
He has no idea. This morning, and it's not just Bear. Pretty much every single bank is plunging in early trade this morning. Lehman, which is very similar to Bear, and it's according to nest seekers, Deutsche Bank joined multiple other banks in selling residential mortgage-backed securities in packages to people who face financial challenges. Then in 2007, as we now know, many people were unable to pay these back and the banks, including Deutsche Bank, were unable to pay for their losses and had to be bailed out, leading to the 2008 recession in the United States. And of course, this was more than just the United States, it was kind of a global recession. To the United States government, what Deutsche Bank and many other banks did was selling mortgages without warning people of the risks, and that's considered fraud. Before the federal government went after Deutsche Bank, the DOJ had asked Citigroup to pay back $12 billion, but they only paid 7 billion. And earlier in 2016, Goldman Sachs had settled for $5.1 billion. Following the government's first claim that the bank paid $14 billion, the bank responded by saying it has no intention to settle these potential civil claims anywhere in the figure cited. They continued on to say that the negotiations are only just beginning. In 2017, after a year of negotiations, the Justice Department and Deutsche Bank finally reached a settlement that required them to pay $7.2 billion for their sale of what New York Times called toxic mortgage securities. The bank agreed to pay a civil penalty of $3.1 billion and provide $4.1 billion in consumer relief to homeowners, borrowers, and communities harmed by its practices. Attorney General Loretta E. Lynch said, Deutsche Bank did not merely mislead investors. It contributed directly to an international financial crisis. However, in 2019, the Los Angeles Times reported that the bank would no longer be paying the $4 billion on consumer relief. Instead of doing what they had promised, they were planning on spending it on originating new loans. The bank monitor, Michael Bresnik, wrote in a report that this change may disappoint distressed homeowners and others, including the many individuals who have reached out to the monitor over the past two years, hoping to receive different types of consumer relief from the bank. So instead of using the settlement money to help people that had been irreparably harmed by their toxic mortgage securities, the bank decided to use that money to create even more loans. So far, it doesn't seem like the Justice Department was all too bothered by this, and they had let other banks do this before. So it's unlikely the bank will suffer any consequences for this. Well. Let's call it what it is then. It's just, it's a bait and switch. And as per usual, the consumers at the very bottom are the ones who are left holding the bag, the empty fucking bag. Now, we already talked about DB's history of giving out risky loans and participating in one of the worst financial crises in history, but the bank was also involved in a plethora of other shady business dealings over the years, particularly within the last decade. In 2017, the United Kingdom's Financial Conduct Authority fined the German bank over $630 million for their participation in $10 billion worth of Russian money laundering through their bank. For over four years, from 2011 to 2015, the bank was involved in a mirror trade scheme in Russia. According to the New Yorker, a man named Igor Volkov would call the bank's headquarters in Moscow nearly every weekend and request two trades. First, he would use Russian rubles to buy Russian stock for a company he told the bank he represented. Then he would sell the same stock, acting on behalf of another company to an offshore territory. But there were not two companies, there was only Igor, and he was selling to himself. By doing this, he was able to move his rubles out of Russia and turn them into dollars, which he could stash in London. So effectively, he was money laundering, and despite the fact that he was making these trades suspiciously at the same time, the bank never caught on. The bank was involved in yet another money laundering scheme called the Global Laundromat, a Russian scheme that took place between 2010 and 2014. According to The Guardian, the scheme moved through the Western financial system and the cash involved is estimated to be about $80 billion. 
Russian scammers would use shell companies to loan each other money, but the loans were not real and the shell companies would default on what the Guardian calls the fictitious debt. Corrupt judges would then authenticate the debt and billions of dollars could be transferred. Deutsche Bank was used to launder money, which allowed illegal Russian payments to be funneled into the US, the European Union, and Asia. The bank was also reported to be entirely unaware of the scam until the story was broken by The Guardian in 2017. The bank then asked two in-house investigators to quote, find out what had gone wrong. When they finished their internal investigation, they found over 1,244 high-risk entities in the United States, 329 in the United Kingdom, 950 in Germany, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project reported that the bank found in its internal investigation that the likelihood that it was involved in channeling illicit money through financial systems as high, and said that it was possible that they had broken the law by breaching regulations imposed to stop corruption, bribery, and money laundering. The bank was later fined by New York's financial services for the money laundering scandals and for failing to act on various red flags, allowing for money to be transferred into the US. This fine was also in connection to the bank's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, which I'll talk about later on in the episode. Following both of these events, the German government ordered the bank to put additional systems in place to prevent future instances of money laundering. In 2018, BaFin, the German financial regulator, installed an auditor, KPMG, as a special monitor to ensure they were making progress on money laundering controls. This would be the first time that BaFin would make this type of appointment to a German bank. Then in 2021, Boffin announced that they would be expanding their mandate and announced in a brief statement that they wanted the bank to improve controls regarding regular customer reviews. After this announcement, Deutsche Bank released a statement saying that they were working to improve their controls, but also they were also aware that there is still work to be done. Then they went on to say, the order is the result of a constructive supervisory dialogue with the Boffin and reflects that the bank continues to attach the highest priority to detecting and remedying possible weaknesses in control process. We are working intensively to also comply with the new requirements within the given timeframe. The bank also found itself in yet another scandal and facing even more fines in 2020, this time because of their relationship with none other than Jeffrey Epstein. Um, it was a mistake to uh, onboard uh, Mr. Epstein in 2013, um, for sure at that point in time. Uh, escalation processes did not work uh, like they should have uh, worked. Um, since then, since we detected that, uh, Deutsche Bank has done everything uh, to investigate this case, work with the authorities, um, remediate the issue, off, um, off in 2020, New York Financial uh, Services fined the bank $150 million. The fine came only one year after Epstein was arrested and subsequently died while in custody, i.e. suicided himself. And additionally, the fine came the same week that Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested and is now found to be guilty of sex trafficking minors. Linda A. Lacewell, the superintendent of financial services released a statement saying, in each of the cases that are being resolved today, Deutsche Bank failed to adequately monitor the activity of customers that the bank itself deemed to be high risk. Despite knowing Mr. Epstein's terrible criminal history, the bank inexcusably failed to detect or prevent millions of dollars of suspicious transactions. The bank had started a relationship with Epstein in 2013 after he had been dropped by JP Morgan Chase & Co for quote, reputational concerns. Epstein had pleaded guilty in 2008 for soliciting prostitution from an underage girl. Now, despite multiple red flags, both with Epstein's financial and personal dealings, Deutsche Bank still decided to take him on as a client and continued their relationship with him until his arrest in 2019. Over the years, the bank helped move millions of dollars for Epstein through multiple accounts and played a pivotal role in helping him to amass more than $500 million in fortunes. 
According to the New York regulator, the bank processed multiple transactions that should have been flagged throughout their relationship with Epstein. This includes cash withdrawals that amounted to over $800,000 for over four years. They also processed payments to Russian models, school tuition fees for women, and hotel and rent expenses. The regulator continued on to say that even though the bank did find Epstein to be high risk, it failed to scrutinize the activity in the accounts for the kinds of activity that were obviously implicated by Mr. Epstein's past. The bank responded to New York's fines by saying, quote, we acknowledge our era of onboarding Epstein in 2013 and the weakness in our processes and have learned from our mistakes and shortcoming. Now, considering this isn't the first or even the most recent time the bank has willingly supported someone with a criminal history who had multiple red flags, I seriously doubt they have learned from their mistakes or shortcomings. They just continue to avoid regulations and seem virtually unconcerned with how they make their money. It's just that they're making it. Despite the bank's continuous statements to the public and to multiple federal regulation entities in various countries that they were working to put systems in place to stop the bank from being involved in fraud scams and just criminal activity in general, they found themselves in trouble yet again in 2021. Back in 2020, the bank launched an internal investigation called Project Teal to investigate whether they had missold foreign exchange derivatives to companies in Spain. Project Teal was initially launched after clients complained that they had been sold derivative products that seemed to have broken European regulation. At first, the bank determined that a limited number of clients had been affected by the missale of foreign exchange derivatives. But in 2021, the cases grew between 50 and 100 companies affected. The investigation found that corporate clients had been miscategorized under the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive, which is a European rule that requires banks to separate their customers based on their financial sophistication. In other words, foreign exchange derivatives are incredibly complicated and the bank was selling them to companies that did not have financial sophistication required to understand them. This cost multiple companies millions of dollars, including Spain's biggest hotel chain, Palladium Hotel Group, and the largest wine exporter in Europe. Deutsche Bank eventually settled its dispute with the Spanish wine exporter for over $10 million in June, 2021. Then in September, 2021, the bank was sued by the Palladium Hotel Group for over $500 million in losses due to the sale of derivatives. The lawsuit states that the bank sold the products to the hotel group, knowing that their executives did not have any or any significant experience in dealing with complex derivative transactions. This means that Deutsche Bank sold to the hotel group after incorrectly classifying their financial sophistication and allegedly knew these sales would lead to losses for the group. In response to the lawsuit, the bank renounced these claims and said, Palladium's claim is without foundation and we will be vigorously defending ourselves against it. Palladium is a sophisticated investor with extensive experience of using derivatives. Now the lawsuit is still ongoing, but the bank says that they don't expect to see more claims this size in the future. Considering their internal investigation says anywhere between 50 to 100 companies were impacted, we'll have to see if their wishful thinking works out. Now, the bank still wasn't done in 2021 because it found itself in still more legal trouble later in 2021, this time for being involved in a massive Ponzi scheme that rocked the real estate world in Florida. In a lawsuit filed by two bankrupt Cayman Island investment funds, they accused the bank of saying it enabled theft on a massive scale, leading to millions of dollars of losses for the investment funds. The lawsuit alleges that the bank maintained a relationship with the people associated with the scheme even after they knew about red flags and SEC sanctions against them. Three people were later arrested in connection to the Ponzi scheme. The people who were former managers of Biscayne Capital were arrested after prosecutors claimed they had caused more than $155 million in losses to Cayman Island investors. In short, three men were allegedly involved in a classic Ponzi scheme, using funds from clients to pay other investors and stealing millions of dollars to use for themselves. 
When the civil lawsuit was filed against Deutsche Bank, a spokesperson responded by saying in an email that, as we have maintained, these claims lack merit and we will continue to vigorously defend ourselves. The bank also said after the arrest of the three people involved in the scheme that they were working with the government and hoping to have the civil suit brought against them dismissed. A spokesperson said, the bank has been identified as a potential victim of the scheme. We continue in our cooperation with the Department of Justice. And as far as I can tell, both of these lawsuits are still pending, so we'll have to see what happens later on. Despite multiple allegations of wrongdoing, fines, and lawsuits against the bank over the years, it hasn't seemed to slow them down much and they continue to grow internationally and remain one of the biggest banks in the world. At this point, it seems the bank might just be too big to fail, regardless of their near constant missteps and poor decision-making. These were just a few of the bank's various scandals. I didn't even have time to mention their connections with loaning money to Syria and Iraq when it was against American regulators to do so. But there are sure to be more scandals and missteps in the coming years, as it seems to always find their way back to Deutsche Bank. If you enjoyed this episode, I highly recommend checking out my other episode on the 432 Park Avenue building or Nevis Island, where I also discuss similar topics and even more scandals that other banks have been involved in. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm going to end today's episode. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you learned something new. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all of the latest episodes. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I do appreciate it. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day or night, wherever you are in the world, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.